Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Sean, uh, I have to admit, when I think about the concepts and practices that help pastors and ministry leaders thrive, uh, and, and which undergird a culture of ministry health, neuroscience isn't one of my go-to areas. <laughs> it's fascinating. We, we don't often think about how our brain affects our leadership, but today we have uh, a very special guest who, who is all about studying how the brain and leadership interact. Charles Stone has been a pastor for 40 years in both the U.S. and Canada. He currently pastors West Park Church, a large multicultural congregation in London, Ontario. He's authored six books, including a book called Holy Noticing on uh, the practice of Christian mindfulness. He blogs at charlestone.com, where you can learn all about uh, neuroscience and leadership and how they interact. Uh, he's a lifelong learner and has earned four degrees and uh, pursued postgraduate study in the intersection of biblical truth uh, and neuroscience insight. He's currently working in a, in a PhD program on uh, researching stress in pastors. He's married to the love of his life, Cheryl, uh, and uh, for 40 years, and they have uh, three grown children and three grandchildren. Charles Stone, Welcome to Hope Renewed. Oh, great to be with you guys. So just for the benefit of our listeners, would you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, your ministry? Sure. Well, I'm a, a self-avowed geek, first of all. I, I have a hobby. <laughs> I don't I like to fish, but there's not much fishing up here in Canada. My hobby, I guess, is learning. I just love to learn. Part of it is uh, when we learn, we uh, our brain releases this neurochemical called dopamine, which is part of the pleasure system. So it's very pleasurable to actually learn. But I've known the Lord since I was a teenager and I was going to be an oceanographer, I thought, until I had a real deep sense of God's call when I was in engineering school in my last year. I went to seminary and never looked looked back. You know, some Mondays as a pastor, you you think, well, do I need to just quit? (laughs) (laughs) You realize, nah. Uh, but love doing ministry, love preaching and teaching. I love hanging around with my, with my family. Um, I have a little dog. I love hanging around with the dog. I love popcorn. So I'm pretty much a normal guy, except I'm a geek. And I, I love learning about the human brain and how it impacts life and leadership. I think mm-hmm. that's the new frontier for Christian ministry and leadership. So that's kind of a little bit. And of course I'm up here in Canada and church. I serve as an incredibly multicultural church. Now we, we're meeting minimally. Well, we're not now. We're currently, as we're taping this, we're in uh, actually a strict lockdown, but we have uh, multiple cultures in our church, and that's been a really enriching experience. So mm. that's a little bit about me. Your blog is is one of the, my go-to reads. Uh, you know, I subscribe to it and read it regularly. It's a unique blend of leadership insight and neuroscience and life and how did you get into these fields and, and bring them together? Well, I think part of it, uh, Sean, is that part of my gift mix is leadership. That's 
know, I, I, I view gifts as like we had this mix, these primary ones and maybe some secondary ones. So I think that's part of my uh, wiring, how God wired me. I think also just my education, my undergrad degrees, engineering, my dad was an engineer. So I kind of think systematically and, uh, and I've kind of built on that. I think you may mention in the, uh, in the start, I got, had this uh, executive master's in the neuroscience of leadership, which just opened my eyes up to the intersection of brain science and leadership. And I also uh, got a uh, graduate certificate in mind, brain, and teaching from Johns Hopkins. So that my current book project, I'm about to sign a contract with a publisher, is on intersecting the neuroscience of learning with communication. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're a preacher, you're a business person, does seminars you know, with your staff. So it's just a fascination. And there's re- actually a story and I'll just give you 30 seconds to this. At age one, my youngest daughter, Tiffany, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. You know, little kids aren't supposed to get brain tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now uh, 35. She's had 10 brain surgeries. Uh, she, two of the surgeries were by uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who was in the cabinet oh, yeah. right now. You know, mm-hmm. godly. Uh, he was a neurosurgeon. And I think he had a HUD or something like that. So we lived in this world this neurology world for so long and we've seen what when the brain's not working right what it can do that's a part of what gave me this passion for this whole area intersecting the two and i coined this phrase neuro ministry mm-hmm. which is really the intersection of neuroscience and life and leadership and scripture what scripture has to say when you intersect those two it's just a fascinating area of study and practical application. That's so great. And if pastors who are listening want to uh, tape their sermons so that it's easier from a brain perspective for people to listen, you have several blog posts about that. And uh, those have just been immensely helpful in, in uh, knowing how to preach in such a way that makes it easier for people to listen. Mm-hmm. Your, your book, uh, the first book that I read by you uh, was People-Pleasing Pastors. I came across that at a time where I was going through serious burnout in ministry mm-hmm. and uh, really was struggling um, uh, just discovering that I had some people-pleasing tendencies at the time. Um, that book, in so many ways, saved both my life and ministry. Uh, it was just immensely helpful. What led you to write this book? Well, thanks for sharing that, Sean. I'm so glad it was a blessing to you. Well, I too have struggled and still struggle to some extent with the whole people-pleasing thing. You know, I think politicians and preachers both were, were in the public realm and we want to please people. Mm. <laughs> and uh, now there's a good side of pleasing. You know, Jesus went about doing good. So in ministry, we want to do good. When you do good to people, you please them. So there's a healthy yeah. side. So people pleasing is more of a generic term that depends on the, on the context and setting. That's always been an issue for me, this people pleasing. And I wanted to write, uh, try to find out, okay, what can I do to, to deal with this whole people pleasing thing? It makes me miserable. In fact, Galatians 1.10 is one of my favorite verses. It says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's, it's pretty convicting. So that prompted me to look into this whole thing for me, but also my hope was that I'd develop this resource that would help other pastors too. So that's kind of what got me into it. And I call myself a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, it is a brain thing. 
And since we're, you know, we're talking about neuroscience, the outside of our brain is called the cortex. It means bark. That's kind of the picture we see with, you know, the hills and valleys, the little crinkles, like looks like a walnut. Well, the front part of the brain is called the prefrontal cortex. A lot of the executive functions like planning and attention and emotional regulation occur here. All there's a lot of connectivity throughout the brain. Behind that part of the brain is the cingulate cortex. And in that part of the brain, it processes pain, not just physical pain, but emotional pain. Mm -hmm. When we experience rejection, we experience emotional pain. So because we don't like pain, we try to avoid that social pain, which comes from rejection, which comes from not pleasing everybody. Mm -hmm. So I actually learned that sometime later that this is, this is a biological thing as well, that when we have rejection and we sense people aren't pleased with our performance or our preaching or leadership, it, it hurts like physical pain does and mm -hmm. we want to avoid that. So people pleasing, we think, can keep that hurt away. So I think that's a good insight for us to realize that it, there's a biological component behind this people pleasing. It's so, so fascinating to hear the science behind something that I think we all intuitively maybe sense uh, yeah. at some level uh, in us. This is kind of a pet question of mine that I want to press into. How does all of this kind of line up with something that might be a little more familiar to us with self-awareness? Mm -hmm. In other words, it, does self-awareness precede this or come from this, or is it tandem or is one a subset of the other? Yeah, I think uh, I would say yes. <laughs> But uh, one a, a good preaching answer, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes, That's politically safe. Huh? Yeah, there's a there's a concept that comes to mind in response to your question. It's called metacognition. You know, cognition is thinking. Meta is kind of stepping outside. Metacognition really means to think about your thinking, which involves self awareness. What happens to us so often is that we get caught in rumination and and having these. Uh, thought patterns that we're not directly aware of. There's kind of two brain states. So we can be uh, in the narrative mode or the direct mode. The narrative mode is when we're talking to ourselves. The direct mode is kind of like right now we're focused on something. When we're in this negative, uh, this, no, this narrative mode, also called the default mode, oftentimes we're not metacognitively aware of what we're thinking about. Mm -hmm. We're not self-aware. And what happens is if we're not aware of that, you know, the snowball effect occurs. You know, let's say we get an email from somebody that's not a real pleasant email. We begin ruminating on that and thinking, wow, that person's really mad at me. That person doesn't like me. Well, I bet they sent this email to everybody. Boy, I, you know, I bet you the whole church is against me. <laughs> so it snowballs. The key is catching it early. Like, oh, wait a minute. I'm reading too much in this. I need to just move on. So self-awareness is absolutely crucial to be aware of what's going on in our thought pattern. But there's another thing too. There is um, a part of our brain called the insula. It's also involved in, in um, pain, but also the insula is involved in something called interoception. I know these are kind of big words, but this is an important mm -hmm. word to know. Interoception is sensing what's going on inside our body. And our, our gut and our heart and our lungs are con is connected to our brain. There's a lot of connections there. And so when something's uh, amiss, our body can tell us that, you know, through the sense of anxiety, mm -hmm. stomach aches, those kind of things. So it's not only metacognition, what our thoughts are, but also this emotional kind of affect, what is our body telling us? 
So I think anybody in ministry or leadership that understands those two concepts to pay attention to what you're thinking about, to pay attention to what your body is telling you mm. is profound. And that's where Christian mindfulness comes in as well. It's almost like God planned it that way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Charles, I uh, do a lot of coaching with pastors who are going through burnout. Um, and one of the things I find is that uh, in addition to anxiety and uh, uh, a lot of issues around that, uh, they also quite often fall into people-pleasing behaviors. Mm -hmm. Not the good kind, the negative kind. And uh, I was just wondering, why do you think that is? Why do you think pastors are so susceptible to people-pleasing? I think part of it is because we have a pastor's heart. And we, want, we, want to, we want to help people. So because of that, we tend to put ourselves out there more mm. and risk a little more in, in relationships. And I realize every pastor has different personalities, but I'm speaking in, gen, in general sense. And because of our love for people, wanting to help them, I think that makes it more acute in us rather than someone who perhaps would just sit in the desk all day and just do research um, with test tubes and all, all that gadget. So I think mm. it's kind of endemic to the nature of our call. In my initial research on the uh, uh, stress, I'm just now my, in doing my literature search, what they're finding is, well, what I'm seeing by several of these, these studies is that personality type can be more uh, susceptible to things like people-pleasing and anxiety. And I'm not an expert in personalities. I'm more of an introvert, which is probably mm -hmm. why people-pleasing has been more difficult. Uh, so I can ruminate a lot. And so they've looked at the, like the DISC profile, which is based on some other personality profiles and found that a pastor who has certain qualities, specifically that outgoing one that wants to really connect with people is actually more susceptible to depression, anxiety, the, the negative results of stress. So I'm just in my early stages of researching that, but that'll, that'll certainly will rise out of my, my study. Yeah, I, I was going to make a case for us extroverts who <laughs> are susceptible to people pleasing in in, mm -hmm. in that exterior kind of way of just looking for that external affirmation and yes. living for the words and and the actions mm -hmm. that uh, reflect back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of score right in the middle between introvert and extrovert. Every time I take one of those tests, it comes out differently. But uh, uh, I find that that for me, people pleasing. Uh, really started when I started to experience criticism. Yeah. Uh, you know, criticism was a new thing for me as I stepped into leadership as a young pastor yes. and didn't realize the depth that we would, that we as pastors face. Um, I heard uh, uh, one uh, famous person say that pastors swim in criticism. And uh, that, that experience, I think, led me to, to try and, and please the critics uh, a little bit, not realizing how much of myself I lost uh, in that process. Yeah. So w what do we need to do when, when as pastors, we recognize we've, we've fallen into people pleasing, maybe we're deep in the weeds there. What do we do to find freedom and, and to work our way out of that? Yeah, well, in, in the book, I actually give this little acronym called PRESENT, but there are a couple of practical things that stand out that would fit in that, that acronym. One of them is is just learn to say no. As you think about it, 
oftentimes we get ourselves into these situations where we say yes to committing our time to something or yes to an idea when it's like, I wish I hadn't said yes to that. Mm. So developing a simple, like if, when, if this person asks me this, or when this person asks me this, then I will do this. That is a, just a tactful way to know how to say no or to delay an, an answer. Because what happens is if we say yes to something we know we shouldn't do, we do that because subconsciously we want to avoid the disfavor we may experience from that person. So it, it's going to be painful in this window. But by saying yes and us wishing we hadn't and getting ourselves into other time commitments, whereas the pain would have been this initially and the cost would have been this initially, you know, the social cost, the pain and social costs would end up being much larger because we said yes. So I think thinking of uh, a, a script that you would say mm-hmm. in those situations and the motivation is realizing, hey, it's, you know, it's like pay now, play later, or play now, pay later. Pay the price now, which is less than if you said the yes and you knew you shouldn't have said the yes. So that's just a little, one practical thing. The second one is, is something called Bowen Family Systems. That, that was a, a thread that I built this on. This Dr. Bowen was a psychologist in the 60s and 70s and wrote extensively and developed this thing called Bowen Family Systems. Now, I'm not an expert on family systems. And basically, it's a way to look at emotional psychological issues in more of a system rather than individually. So it's very, very helpful. And there's some great books out there on that. One of the things he recommends, and I'm not sure if he was the one that originated this, something called a genogram. A genogram is basically where you take inventory up to two or three generations prior to you. And when you do that, and, and, there, and you can just, anybody, any of your listeners can Google genogram and there are instructions and there are you know, tools to do that. By doing that, you're going to be able to see some trends and patterns, both good and bad, that trickle down that family tree to, to me. And what they've discovered is simply doing a genogram is healthy and it brings positive benefits. And in my writing the book, I actually did that and realized, oh, well, I can see why I am like I am in some of those ways, mm. both good and bad. Mm. Because, you know, we grew up in a dysfunctional, we all grew up in some sort of a dysfunctional family. Nobody's perfectly functional. But it's not casting blame, but rather it's to understand. So that'd be another mm. practical thing I would suggest is to do a genogram. Mm. That's, that's a theme that I've seen uh, in a lot of, leadership books right now, that Bowen family system and doing genogram. We hear Pete Scazzaro talks about it yes, in his yes. emotionally healthy leadership. Yeah. We had Steve Cuss on the show. He talked about that in managing leadership anxiety. Todd Bolsinger talks about it in mm-hmm. canoeing the mountains. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a really uh, important way to to explore some of the roots behind what we do. Yes. It was hugely helpful for me too. Mm. I, I think what I've seen so often myself and, and pastors I've talked with is I call it the hunting down the why, you know, which can be a dangerous thing, but in, in what you're describing, I think a very healthy way mm. to, to be able to root out uh, some kind of sense of, well, why did I do that? Or why am I doing this? Why am I operating this way? And like you say, just the freedom that's found in being able to externalize that through yes. through an exercise yeah. like a genogram, yeah. mm-hmm. to be able to point and say, okay, now 
you know, I still have to fix it. I still, mm-hmm. <laughs> but boy, 90% of the work is done in just getting that out there. Yes. Yes. And, what, and mm-hmm. reflecting back on what you said too, th- this is kind of my aha already in this conversation uh, with um, I forget behind the prefrontal is the cingulate. Okay. The cingulate cortex mm-hmm. where you register pain. I remember um, going through financial peace university with Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the aha there was his whole kind of exposing and teaching that when you spend money, I mean, physically take cash out of your wallet and give it to someone, you register pain there. Mm. And that's why using a credit card is so much easier than using uh, cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and that was, it's just like open me and, and applying that to what you're saying about people pleasing that uh, it's, it's again, kind of an economic thing, this opportunity cost. Yeah. How much yeah. do I pay now to play later? How much do I play now and then up paying later? Yes. Uh, and just being aware that, okay, what I'm reacting to is a pain response. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. me, that opens it up. That just gives me so many other resources that I can then attend uh, yeah. to, to yeah. what I'm feeling. Are you struggling to fit into your current ministry role or pondering what's next for you? PIR Ministries can help. The Pro-D assessment can help you uncover sources of frustration. It can show you your ideal roles and give you some keys to unlocking your leadership. Our trained Pro-D facilitators will help you interpret the results of your assessment to understand your unique leadership profile and develop a plan for growth. We also offer coaching packages to help you go even deeper into your search for ministry alignment. To learn more or to register for the Pro-D assessment, visit PIRministries.org. Go to the Ministries tab and select Pro-D Assessment. PIR Ministries and the Pro-D assessment will help you unlock the tools you need for greater ministry alignment. Well, there's a basic, a brain's basic organizing principle to seek reward and avoid pain. Now, obviously, as a follower of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in us, sometimes we have to walk toward pain mm-hmm. <laughs> and reject re- reward. But that's basically the natural way our brain is organized. We want to avoid that pain. We'll do what we can to avoid pain, even though at the moment it may be avoiding some pain, your pain, pain more later. Mm. And you, you mentioned that in connection with pastors saying no. The book, People Pleasing Pastors, one of the, the most valuable things from that was it taught me how to do that, how, mm-hmm. how to say no in a way that people are able to receive it yes. um, and not, uh, not feel like I have to give an explanation to everything, mm-hmm. but able to say, simply say, no, I, I don't have time in my schedule for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that phrase in itself was hugely freeing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, in recognizing that every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to 10, 20, maybe 100 other things. Correct. Yeah, that opportunity cost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, the the power of, of being able to say no to the things that I shouldn't be doing and able to say yes to the things that I know God is calling me to do uh, was, was huge mm-hmm. in, in my own life. So thank you for that. That was, was a, a great blessing. Shifting just a little bit, um, at the end of the book, People Pleasing Pastors, I think it's actually in, in the appendix, uh, you have uh, a little mindfulness 
practice. And, and again, this was one of the really valuable things. I still use this mindfulness practice uh, years later. You had a little acronym that you used to help us walk through just kind of uh, scanning what's going on in our body and our environment and our emotions and our thoughts and relationships and things. And, and you took that and developed it into a, a much larger book, changed the acronym a little bit. But uh, that book, Holy Noticing, uh, I think is a really important book uh, for pastors, especially to be aware of and familiar with. But I'm sure when, when Christians hear the word mindfulness, they're, they're skeptical or unaware of, of this practice. Can you describe a little bit what you mean by Christian mindfulness? Well, you hit the nail on the head for, for many Christians. When you hear the word mindfulness, it evokes, you know, sitting in the lotus position, uh, you know, new age stuff, Buddhism. And the reality is the word mindfulness comes from uh, a word in the uh, Sati language, which was the language of the Buddha, which is popularly translated now, mindfulness. So the vast majority of what you read on blogs, reading books, it, books is, is based on, on Buddhism. Uh, but as I really began to dig, dig deep into this, I realized that these contemplative type practices preceded the Buddha mm. by several hundred years because the Hebrew language was, uh, in, was designed, developed before the Saudi uh, language. Although it's a valid concern, I felt that Christians needed a tool from a biblical perspective to put the cookies in the lower shelf, so to speak, to help people understand what mindfulness is from a Christian tradition. So I define mindfulness, use the term holy noticing, and it's, it's an art, uh, not a science. And here's how I define it. Holy noticing is noticing with a holy purpose, God in his handiwork, our relationships, in our inner world of thoughts and feelings. That's how I'm defining it. So there are the vast distinctions between what might be considered secular or Buddhist mindfulness and Christian mindfulness. And Christian mindfulness is rooted in scripture. I also did uh, some research for the book when I looked through history and there are scores of people that we uh, admire like a Calvin, like an Augustine, like a Wesley who practiced these very practices and uh, Tozier and who reflected these in their writings, these kind of practices. They may not have called it mindfulness, but it's basically what, what I'm describing as holy noticing or mindfulness. So there's a strong biblical basis. There's a strong Christian historical basis. And of course, now with the advent of uh, the functional MRI about 30 years ago, we're learning a whole lot more what goes on in the brain and body during mindfulness. So that's my definition and, and why those who are skeptical have right to be skeptical. But uh, Moody, who published this one, is a very conservative publisher. Mm -hmm. So they aren't going to publish anything that's <laughs> anything near <laughs> New Ages. <laughs> is, is mindfulness um, a, a subset of meditation or is meditation a subset of mindfulness? You know, uh, it's a lot of semantics. Okay. Um, I would say meditation probably would be a subset because Throughout the, I use an acronym, uh, expanded the acronym from BEATS to BREATHE. Um, throughout the entire of all of those little steps I suggest is meditation upon scripture because mm -hmm. it's scripturally rooted. So I guess I would say that 
if in that context, if it's meditation, meditation upon scripture, it would be a subset of mindfulness. I think one of the, the great values of the way you describe uh, Christian mindfulness is that it helps us to become more aware, um, not just of uh, what's going on around us, but what's going on within us, yeah. um, in our bodies, uh, and in our emotions, in our souls. Uh, we're more aware of what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in relationships, what's happening in other people. It, it just, um, it opens us up to paying attention uh, to the world that God has put us in, including ourselves. And, and that was really helpful for me, especially, especially when I was wanting to spend some time in prayer and I find my mind distracted. Yeah. If I, if I take your mindfulness practice and maybe take 10, 15 minutes, half hour to go through the process and, and really think about what's going on in my body, what's going on in my thoughts, my emotions, my relationships. And, and it, as I did that, and I'm able to release some of those things, I found that my ability to focus in prayer was greatly enhanced. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, because I had taken the time to pay attention and be aware of all the other things that were mm -hmm. influencing me in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, how has mindfulness helped you in your life in ministry? Uh, it's profoundly made a difference in my life. My wife will attest to that. It's been a process of several years. Uh, so it's not like something you just get a book and, oh, poof, everything's just great. And everything's not great. I still struggle. But I, for me, I found that I am much more aware of my mind wandering. Everybody's mind wanders. There's a theory called the neuroenergetic theory of mind wandering. It's basically your neurons don't get enough uh, glucose when you're focusing on something and, and it's looking for another place to get some glucose. And so your mind wonders. We all, that's just a given. But the, the quicker you are aware of that, the quicker you can get back to the task at hand in the case we're talking about prayer and focusing on God. So it's helped me be much more aware when my mind wanders. It's helped me dial down my emotional reactivity when I'm in a, like I said, a difficult leadership situation or conversation, yeah. because I'm aware. I say, Oh, okay. You're feeling it rising. Okay. You can dial it down. You can be fully present to this person. It's helped me, I think be better listener because I'm more present to other people. I'm not so in my head, I'm really present for them. And that's a powerful leadership tool when someone really feels that they're, they're listened to. You guys know that. I think it's given me better health. Um, mm. I've got a good low heart rate. Um, and one of the, uh, Harvard University said that the um, unifying, how do they put it? The, they're thinking that the unifying component in um, ongoing disease is the immune response. When you stay on immune response and all these soldiers are overworked and that's behind cancer and stroke and heart disease and those kind of things. So I think mindfulness, although I've not, you know, I haven't had blood tests on this, but I really feel that I have less, that the immune response is not active when it does not need to be because mindfulness helps dial that down so that it's available when I really am sick or I have an injury to fight it. So on multiple levels, Sean, it's been a profound help. And also just in my ministry too, in my preaching and my teaching and my leading my, my leaders. So it's almost no place where it has not had a positive impact.
when I started the practice, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping at night because my mind was constantly racing. I was also in a, in a time of, you know, a lot of conflict in leadership and, and things too, so that I had good reason to not sleep. Uh, but taking a few minutes before going to bed to just uh, pay attention to what's going on in my body and my mind and my emotions and my relationships and notice those things and release them to God. Boy, my sleep changed dramatically afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you sleep, you get better sleep. Everything is better, um, you know, overall. So that was incredibly helpful to me. And then, like you said, just, just being more aware of my emotions in the moment helped me to be more aware uh, of how I was projecting things to people that I didn't want to project, like anxiety and stress and tension. Yeah. It's amazing how much just the tone of my voice would change. You know, I'd raise the tone a little bit because I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. So the, the practice of, of mindfulness, the way you describe it, um, helped me to, to pay attention to those things in the moment and allow myself to, to calm, to be more aware of what I was saying, how I was saying it, mm -hmm. uh, and to listen better. Uh, and it really, people started to notice that uh, within Whoa. just a few months. I, the comments I got from people in my church was, there's just a, a depth to your preaching and, and the way you're with people mm -hmm. that's different now. Wow, um, Sean. And, and I think it was just because I was able to pay attention to people more and my stress a little mm -hmm. bit less mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's a very powerful practice that people mm -hmm. should, should really check out. Mm -hmm. I think what I love in all of this is how this validates practices that have been present, as you've said, um, Charles, throughout the history of the church of, of yeah. uh, learning to be present, uh, that maybe we would have assigned to the mystics. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, oh no, we understand how this actually has a physiological connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and and just takes me back to, you know, you're wonderfully and fearfully made. God's created us to, yes. to yes. operate in this way. And mm -hmm. we're just accessing now that, that sense of understanding in a tiny bit, what is actually physically going on uh, that's attached mm -hmm. to the much deeper spiritual reality uh, yes. in, in yeah. which, in which we live. And I will confess that this has always been kind of my bugaboo of, uh, you know, practicing the spiritual disciplines and, and things like that is like, you know, well, that's, that's kind of creepy and, you know, magical and, and everything. And um, being able to, to recognize that, that there's a wholeness to what you're talking about, a, a connection between the, the physical and the spiritual that is there. We don't make it happen. It's already there, but it's beginning to access that, mm -hmm. that place that God has already made uh, in us. And this is giving me permission to do that um, mm -hmm. uh, without feeling like I'm going off the, the deep end of yeah. some kind mm -hmm. of mystical, strange, weird thing. So Charles, uh, you, you mentioned uh, that, that you're currently studying stress and uh, leadership and, and pastors. Is this going to be another book or uh, is is just for your own interest? Well, I hope it's definitely going to be another book. Uh, clearly. And, uh, you know, the, the, the research tells us that uh, being in ministry is obviously a very stressful job. Now you add COVID on top of that, hmm. all the changes 
there's a whole new layer of stress. Mm-hmm. And although time will tell, I think the next layer of stress will be, you know, once everybody gets vaccinated and a lot of pastors are thinking, oh, could you be back to where we were? Everything's going to be great. And the reality is a third of our people, well, the people that were in the church may not come back. Mm-hmm. That's what Tom Rainer is saying. So 20 to 30% of church people may not come back. That's going to be another level of stress. Like, oh, these people are rejecting me. No, it's this winnowing that's happening. So definitely, it's going to be another book. Uh, my research will start in a few months. Um, so I'm just going to do some background work right now. Well, I'm excited. That'll be fun. Uh, I, I try to read just about everything that, that I can from you because it's such a unique perspective and uh, so, so very helpful in, in understanding uh, why we do what we do from a brain perspective and how that affects our leadership and and uh, boy, it's super helpful. So, so thank you for that. I'm looking looking forward to it. Well, we always like to end uh, our podcast by offering the opportunity to share some words of hope for our listeners. So um, you can put on your pastor's hat here. What might you say to encourage pastors and ministry leaders in these challenging days? I, I think I would say because I when we heard that we were shutting down here in Canada. It was like middle of March, something like that. And Cheryl and I just gotten back from a vacation, two-week vacation. The next day, it was shut down. Had to call all staff together, and we were scrambling. For 25 days straight, I only took one day off. Now, I don't recommend that, but sometimes leaders have to rise up. You know, if the dam is breaking, you got to mm-hmm. keep it from flooding. And about two months into it, I went through my hole. And because I realized, hey, listen, I'm... I felt like this is the time of my life when I ought to be the most effective in this. And I realized, oh, I can't even, we don't even have church. I've never done that before. But I went through that hole. I readjusted my expectations. I saw my doctor and he gave me a mild dosage of an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is Prozac is one of the most popular ones. Basically it keeps serotonin in your brain longer and it helps stabilize moods. That was a profound help to me. And I finally just said, doctor, is there something I need? And it is really helped. So I would say to your listeners, uh, this is a tough time. Acknowledging it, first of all, is crucial. You know, it's kind of, uh, I'm hearing more and more like churches are going through, they're they're lamenting. There is Mm -hmm. place to lament the loss that we have. Mm -hmm. If there's hope, the, the gospel has not changed. God is not in an ICU ward with COVID. Mm. <laughs> He's just as powerful, perfectly powerful as he always has been. So acknowledge it. And then number two, get, get some help if you're really in the dumps. I know you guys do coaching. Get, get a coach. Mm. See your doctor. Mm. We just can't do it alone. So those, those are the two things I would say. There's help out there and get it. Well, that's really good. So Charles, if uh, our listeners want to find out more about you, where can they find you online? You bet. www.charlesstone.com. There are two S's in there, charlesstone.com. And if you're visiting it uh, for the first time, a little pop-up will come up if you want to follow me on my uh, blogs. And there's some freebies. If you sign up, you get some freebies. And you can always cancel if you get tired of hearing from me. But charlesstone.com, love to hear from, from your listeners. One of the things I really love about your blog is that you interact with uh, people in the comments 
and uh, you're you're very active in that way. So I'd encourage people to check it out. Thanks again for taking the time to be with us today. And uh, I hope that someday we get a chance to talk some more. Uh, I would love to go deeper into some of this stuff and uh, and really explore some of the the realities of leadership and neuroscience and and understand that at a deeper level. So thank you so much, Charles. Yes, thank you. Great being with you guys. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that as you are mindful of Christ's presence in your life, you are filled with his hope. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.